You are listening to a conservative review production. Trust, but verify. You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Today is Thursday, April 14th, 2016. It is my birthday, as well as Caroline Cruz's birthday. Cruz's oldest daughter, she's turning eight, so we share the the same birthday. I'm pretty young, not quite that young, uh, but we got a lot to talk about today. Wow. Again, big week with election stuff galore and not spoken about enough in conservative media, but we always cover it, Congress. You always got to watch out what they're doing when, when you're focused on other issues. So we're going to get into how the Republicans have not learned their lesson. They've learned nothing from this revolt in the primary. And you see this across the board with stuff going on in Washington. Lots of stuff been flying uh, below people's radar. But we got it all here. A lot of it is in my vertical conservative conscience. Um, we got our buddy John Gray with budget issues. Brian Darling um, covers a lot of this. We'll We'll link up to it in our show notes. And then, as always, we got Levin TV. I mean, I'm sure you guys checked out that Marco Rubio interview, the first time Rubio broke his silence since dropping out of the race. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty impressive. Uh, we, we were pretty tough on him. <laughs> so Mark and I, and uh, I don't think he'd sit down with me, but I was pretty surprised. Uh, he was willing to sit down for that interview. But, you know, it's good to see people coming together after such an acrimonious primary. But, again, you only find that on LevinTV.com. Well, let me bring in my co-host. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Doing well. Happy birthday, Daniel. Thanks. I know. I'm, fe- I'm feeling old. When you get up there in the 30s, it's, uh, I don't know... Uh, Although the three kids make me feel older than my age. <laughs> right. Yeah, they definitely do. They suck the energy out of you, too. It's some sort of weird voodoo they have. I don't know how God gives us the strength to do what we do. I got three boys. Oh, it is it is wild. So uh, assuming my, my younger son's home today, assuming he doesn't bang on the door and disrupt this podcast, you know, let, let's go through kind of a sequel of what we spoke about last week. And, you know, hopefully we'll have time for some election stuff. Uh, but but again, you know, I, I just say a lot of people like to pontificate about what they think is going to happen. I like dissecting what did happen. So, you know, I'm not so into breaking down before the primaries. We got New York next week. We got the big five northeastern states remaining the Tuesday thereafter. We'll get to that more, you know, next week. We got Wyoming. By the way, Wyoming uh, convention this saturday 17 more delegates cruz is likely to sweep that so that's more momentum for him but kind of returning to congressional stuff you know remember joe we spoke last week about the opportunity republicans had that you know they're throwing up their hands you got cruz you got trump and you know you take a look at what's happening and you see 80 percent to 90 percent in any given state are voting for cruz or trump now Let's just say whatever you think of Cruz or Trump, 
people aren't voting for squishy Republicans, right? That That is not... Now, I would argue that Trump in many ways is one, but that's certainly not the perception of most people voting for him, right? right? They're, they're not voting for him because they think he's a status quo Republican that will agree to the premise of the Democrats and never hold the line on, every, on anything. So you'd think there would be some sort of humbling. I know some guys, Senator Bob Corker, a couple months back, kind of expressed the need to listen to people. So they come back into session, and and we listed a bunch of things on Iran, immigration, national security, Gitmo, Cuba, um, you know, stuff that they could really tackle. You know, let me give you another thing. Just this week, I might have a post on it. It turns out the IRS is granting refundable tax credits. You know, tomorrow is big, the big tax day, or normally it's the tax day, April 15th. Um, where we surrender our hard-earned money to the IRS, and they are getting, illegals are getting refundable tax credits even when the Social Security Administration reports to the IRS that Social Security numbers aren't matching with the names, and they're illegals, and they have engaged in identity theft. How hard is it to pass a bill barring illegals who have engaged in identity theft from getting an IRS kickback? But the IRS commissioner said, no, we want to encourage them to work, so we're not really going to do anything about it. I again, these are winning issues, winning issues, but no. So, Joe, what did they focus on? What what struck you this week, news wise in Washington, indicating that they are not learning their lesson? I mean, for me, and I know you don't like looking at the what will happen, but I al- that's sort of the way I always looked. And <laughs> the big thing for me was Mike Lee, a guy who has worked really hard on both sides of the, the conservative spectrum, you know, the establishment and the conservatives, to, to be a guy who people can look up to, to be a principled leader for conservatives, who the establishment can even be friendly with and bring him in to give them some bona fides in tough elections against Democrats, he announces that he's going to run for a leadership position. And that surprised me for two reasons. One, whom he would replace, you know, kind of who he's going up against. And two, the fact that the establishment is already kind of doing their backroom deals in sort of the inside baseball stuff to block him and stop him in ways that are, you know, counterintuitive to what, what they should they should be doing and need to be doing in an election year. You know, I, I think, Joe, I, I think that really sets the tone. I wanted to talk, focus on mainly three agenda items they did this week. But this is kind of the fourth. It's not a legislative item. So just to give our listeners some understanding in case they're not into the nitty gritty here, you have leadership positions. Mitch McConnell is the majority leader. The number two guy, the whip, the guy who counts the votes is, is John Cornyn. You got number three in, in uh, John Thune is the conference chair. He kind of runs the Republican caucus. And then the fourth guy, the policy position is Senator John Barrasso. He's the policy chair. So we're talking about Mike Lee is not challenging Mitch McConnell here. He's vying for the f- number four position. And and let's face it, Joe, a lot of it is cosmetic. The guy really doesn't do anything. He is not going to fundamentally change the direction. So if you're an establishment guy, you figure, look, oh my gosh, we got the base just revolting. They They hate us. Yep. You know, let, let's have our cake and eat it, do. Exactly. Let, let, let's throw them a bone. We, we put a fresh face. Here's your Mike Lee. You get your number four position. We got the top three guys still doing their stu- stuff. And, you know, we make them happy. Why give them more ammo? But they are so committed. It's almost like 
we have a big tent for everyone and every idea except for conservatism. And, you know, here's a guy, you know, it's not like he says anything embarrassing like a Todd Akin. And quite frankly, it's it's the Mitch McConnells that say embarrassing things every every day. John, um, Mike Lee sounds very smart and studied on all the issues. And you know, let him run the policy shop. It, it makes sense. This is a guy who has fresh ideas. But but that that's the point. So, you know, just one point that's up on our website now, we'll link to it in the show notes. Brian Darling, we got a lot of nerds here. We got Rob Bino's the delegate nerd. Um, Brian Darling knows as much about the proceedings in the Senate as pretty much anyone alive today. I mean, he was the guy who did the scholarship for Heritage Foundation there. He, he's worked many years in the Senate. He most recently worked for Rand Paul. And uh, he, he's an expert on the filibuster. So he noted that you basically have term limits, not constitutionally mandated term limits, but party Senate party rules that say that you cannot serve for more than three terms, six years in any elected position. Well, it turns turns out that the number three and four guys, John Thune and Senator Barrasso, for which you know Mike Lee is trying to pursue that position, he's term limited, right? So it, it would be a great opportunity. You have a you know changing of the guards after this year. Hopefully, we have a Republican president. Let's kind of give it a facelift. I mean, sadly, it appears that they're hell-bent on keeping Paul Ryan as speaker and, um, you know, Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn as the Senate leaders. Could we give them the number four position? That's term-limited anyway. Nope. They're worried Mike Lee might win. Therefore, they said, well, you know, we're, we're kind of going to keep our slate the way it is, <laughs> uh, even though the rule is pretty much black and white. I don't know how they're going to get around that, but they, they plan on doing that. I guess, you know, he who controls the party levers controls the rules. And in this case, they're going to keep Mike Lee from assuming that position. So you're literally going to have the same guys, even past term limits, the same stale ideas. This is how badly, you know, they want to block us. And, and I would, you know, Joe, I think another important point I want to you know, digress a little bit before getting into some of the issues in Congress this week. There's a lot of misinformation in the conservative blogosphere, some of conservative talk radio. They're focusing on the wrong anti-establishment conspiracy. You know, sometimes when you see an establishment plot under your bed in every nook and cranny, you miss it where it's right in front of your eyes. They're saying, oh, the establishment's going to steal the convention. They're going to install Paul Ryan even after he said he's not running. Again, for the for crying out loud, it's it's Trump and Cruz. They have all the delegates. You need them to change the rules in order to put other people into nomination. If Cruz is cleaning up all the delegates and he's being accused of doing that by the Trump campaign, well, then he can't be falling into establishment trap because they're his delegates. They're not going to change the rules. They are done. They don't care. A lot of them aren't even showing up to the convention. There's nothing they can do about the presidential election. Where they are going to continue undermining us is on the policy messaging, drawing a sharp contrast, the congressional affairs. This is where you got to watch what they're doing. And this is what I want to you know, discuss for the remaining of this podcast. And that's what they're doing in you know, this, this uh, Senate leadership election. That's where they're going to make their mark, where they have control. I mean, don't you see Judd, too many people? I mean, I hear Rush and uh, constantly getting sucked into – Oh, gosh, the establishment's going to steal the convention as if they have some magic button to to pull. And they're not talking about this. Right. That's always been my frustration with a little bit of talk radio and a little bit of sort of the the 
conservative punditry is that they they treat the establishment as this you know 800 pound boogeyman sleeping under your bed but they paint with such a broad brush and they focus on it in talking points rather than breaking it down and explaining to the people so so to some degree they have created trump and in some of what's been going on because of that exactly i mean like you said in this situation if they were focusing on this point that leadership the same old stale ideas the same old status quo is the problem that's how leadership is problematic not that leadership is somehow anybody who's in congress but that there's truly a concerted effort by certain people and and this is the prime example of it and they do it in small ways they do it with the little things the little cuts yeah it's, like it's you said by it's, a thousand cuts it in and that's how they do it and that's why it's important to really focus on what the establishment does when nobody's looking or when they you know think nobody's looking you got to look at the small things and, and you look into our vertical here conservative conscience and really again other people's verticals here at conservative review uh, you know, the, our, our columnists, our writers, our, our in-house guys, guest columnists, we we don't get driven by the narrative. We want to drive the narrative. And I think, you know, the rest of conservative media, I wish they would follow suit. What is often the most important issue of the day in the mainstream media, forget about the bias of how they report it, but just the actual focus and prioritization of the issue itself is, is often a misfire. It's not the most important thing of the day. And, and, and boy, this week do we have stuff. I mean, let's just rapid fire three things. What did they do when they came back? So aside for trying to change the rules so a conservative can't run for leadership, they passed a billion dollar <laughs> new foreign aid food security program on top of our $35 billion in foreign aid. And again, this doesn't go into the hands of those that need it in the third world countries. I, I spoke to a friend of mine who adopted two kids from Africa, and he said, boy, I could tell you it doesn't go to them. It goes to these non-governmental organizations, these NGOs, left-wing causes, um, kind of similar to refugee resettlement type of organizations that have a left-wing agenda. We are basically having a Republican Congress that does that. So, billion dollars in new spending was an offset. Next thing, criminal justice reform. At a time of record crime, we we have posted, you know, the Gallup numbers where the the rate the, the percentage of people worried about rising crime is at its highest level in 15 years and for good reason. And they're doing they're maniacally pushing this jailbreak which will release violent heroin, drug dealers, drug cartels, illegal aliens too, because that's what fills a lot of the prisons, especially with the drug charges. Joe, I didn't write about this yet, and I don't know if I'm going to have time, but for our listeners, they are so... It's almost, you know, you know, like a legislative, a budgetary score, where for every spending you increase, you want to supposedly offset it with revenue. Any provision conservatives negotiate to clamp down on some of the jailbreak, they, they, they are demanding a commensurate jailbreak provision on the other end, a mandate, the a certain number of thousands must be released from prison. Like th- That's the end goal instead of looking at it rationally. And so one of the things they're trying to achieve, they have this maritime drug smuggling pr- provision to loosen the sentencing on maritime drug smugglers. I mean, dude, if you're going to give me this talking point about your nonviolent drug offender college kid smoking a joint one day, which... As you know, they don't wind up in federal prison. But, dude, the maritime uh, 
smugglers. I mean, those are drug cartels. But what that tells you is they are specifically targeting individuals for jailbreak. That's number two. Number three, the Puerto Rico bailout. We reported on this just yesterday. So they are going to allow Puerto Rico to restructure their debt, um, screw the creditors, and they are giving them federal land to benefit from and hopefully get revenue out of 3,100 acres from this island off of the east coast of Puerto Rico, when states like Utah and Nevada have more than 50% of their federal land stolen, and they have been responsible, more or less, with their uh, fiscal budget, fiscal policies, and they don't get any federal land back. And you know, you know, they're saying, "Well, don't call it Chapter Nine. The states aren't don't aren't entitled to Chapter Nine, but uh, you know, so certainly we wouldn't want it for Puerto Rico. But it is Chapter Nine bankruptcy. We're going to get into some of these details. This is John Gray, our in-house budget guy. This is his territory. But Joe, my broader point is, how hard is it to get up there and say we have states like Wisconsin, where Scott Walker made simple reforms, like you know. You could contribute 12% to your health insurance benefits in the public sector rather than 6%, still well below the private sector contribution, you know, slightly more for your pensions. Puerto Rico makes California look like a, you know, free market utopia. It's just, you know, with the, the labor union stranglehold, the, the welfare, the, the, the tax benefit structure, no reforms demanded of them. I mean, why am I tying these three d- disparate issues together? The one billion in food aid for international NGOs, the Puerto Rico bailout, the criminal justice deform—they all have one common thread. They adopt the Democrat premise: "I'm a good person. I'm, I'm good. I feel bad. I feel bad for the criminals. I feel bad for Puerto Rico. I feel bad for you know. Oh, I'm, who doesn't starving kids in Africa? Right? The demagoguery instead of drawing a sharp contrast." You know, let me just pick these two legislative ideas I have. Designating the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror group and and cutting off refundable tax credits to illegal aliens who engaged in in identity fraud. What the heck are Democrats supposed to say to that? No, we want them to have it. No, the Muslim pros are amazing. I mean, this is so easy to draw sharp contrast, but they haven't learned that lesson about how to beat Democrats, what people care about. They think the lesson is to agree to the Democrat premise, albeit do it with a sour face and not as enthusiastic as the Democrats. Well, we don't want to give you a full bailout. And, and, you know, it's never enough for the Democrats with Puerto Rico. It's never enough with the food aid. It's never enough jailbreak. Why don't you stand for a bold contrast? You know what I mean? Joe, sometimes when, you know, let's say I say I want to abolish Social Security, right? That's not going to resonate. But on an issue where law and order, fiscal soundness, you know, it resonates with the people. Isn't it better sometimes to actually uproot their entire premise and come from a totally new, fresh direction and not agree to their talking points? I mean, this is what we're seeing the entire week. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you can name 
you could tick off probably another four or five things that they could do that are winnable issues, but instead they're they're getting into these issues for whatever reason. You mentioned the idea about jailbreak where on one end they sort of get what they want, kind of maybe, but as long as the Democrats get their their release numbers and their quotas met over on the other end, that's sort of the bargaining chip that they give them. Uh, Matt Kibbe just put out a video yesterday about the same thing that the Democrats do and the Republicans just go right along with it with military spending. Back in the day when you wanted to raise money, even for something important like wartime spending, I mean, we're talking back during like wars where the money needed to increase to our defense spending. The only way to do it, the only way to do it was with offsets. You would think that in peacetime, that would be even more true. And then when you come down to sort of these pet projects and these social programs, we're not talking Social Security or Medicaid here, you know, entitlements or or lifelines. We're talking about really niche areas of policy that are that are you know, not cut and dry issues, as you would call them, sort of like 50-50 issues, or even in some cases, 40-60 issues, where you get the other 10 or 11% yeah. you need by making a deal, usually, again, you with unite offsets. the other side, and you, you unite our, the other and, side, and divide you, our side, you create offsets, you find the money elsewhere. And that's the starting point. That's that's before you even start to whittle down the, the policy ends to say, well, We'll do a half measure to see how it works or to see if it works. But instead, like you said, they're simply going in there and they're saying, uh, we want to achieve this. And the other side, the Democrats say, OK, well, here's the five things we want. And the Republicans say, well, we want this to go smooth. So we'll give you six. It, it, and, and that's the thing. They always start the debate from the Democrat baseline. Yeah. That, that, that's, you know, that's the thing. They, it's like we always have to start from our one yard line and they always start in our territory. Uh, and that's that that's the problem. You, you know, they always say the accusation against people like us is that we have unrealistic expectations, you know, without control of the White House. But again, and again, I hope to put this out next week, a list of top 10 winning issues. We did this last year. I want to update it to the relevant issues that people care about in the here and now. We're not talking about really, you know, restructuring the tax benefit system entitlements. You do that when you have the presidency. We are talking about <laughs> We're not even talking about rolling back anything. What we're talking about is not adding new programs. We, we had this whole theme last year with the education stuff, the transportation stuff, the new health care bill they passed, the Medicare doctors, $500 billion over 20 years. This is new spending. It's not a matter of how much you were able to roll back. You promised to cut spending. They don't – not only don't they cut spending, like, you know, this year's budget – Will rise by fifty-seven billion over the previous year, and thirty billion more than their own budget control act, which was the one um, victory budget victory we got in two thousand eleven. This is the point. So they agree. They start. The Democrats are like, "This is outrageous. Puerto Rico needs to be bailed." All right, okay, you guys are right, but but let's not do a full bailout. Let's do a restructuring. And and the thing is, you know, that is just the down payment because when you don't require systemic fiscal policy reforms, we're going to be back here in five, six months, and it's going to become a bailout. There's no there's no way out of that. You know, with the jailbreak, it's not like, okay, guys, let's reform criminal justice. Let's start with mens re, you know, criminal intent. Let's start with EPA regs. Let's start with these dubious insider trading laws. They're not going to touch that, the environmental regs, financial regs. 
it, it's all the violent criminal regs. They, they, they don't they don't negotiate from a position of strength. You know, let's reform our existing foreign aid programs. No. Democrats are like, we need a feel-good new program. Republicans, all right, yeah, but let's do it maybe a billion dollars less than you wanted. That's not what compromise looks like. You know, what compromise looks like is saying, look, Social Security was never supposed to be this way. Young young adults are, are getting hosed by this. They're not going to get anything. Even even you know people getting it now, they don't get a solid rate of return. Let's allow younger workers to invest some of that. You know, maybe regulate it. You want to limit the options. You want to say only partially a portion of, of the of the payroll tax goes instead of the whole thing. We're willing to compromise, but that's what compromise looks like on your own principles. We have our reforms. Maybe we don't get everything they want. Instead, Democrats get their entire 70-year Great Society Leviathan plus more and more and more, albeit one tranche less than what the Democrats wanted for new stuff until they come back a couple months later and get that. I mean, this is the problem, and this is why people are so upset, and this is what, at its core, we are fighting for. So, you know, we'll get back to presidential politics more next week, but I think what's important to understand is, you know, even if we get a good president, we need, I mean, we're going to be here, you know, conservative review, we're going to follow not just the legislative stuff, but with a Republican in the White House, we're going to follow the administrative stuff, the departments, the executive agencies, things we could do. We got to be on top of this. It's And and this is where the establishment's going to make their mark. They, they, they have lost their man in the White House. They're not going to get their man in the White House. It's either Hillary or someone they don't want on the Republican side. But I mean, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan as House leaders, this is what we're going to get unless we bolster hopefully a president Cruz, you know with the firepower to overturn these type of policies you know joe i want to conclude with one thought turning back to the presidential election that ties into this you know it's so important as we're seeing now to get fresh blood in congress we need we need some scalps we need them to understand that their seats aren't safe Guess what? Every single establishment Republican so far that's been up for election in the primary for a congressional seat has been reelected. Donald Trump's been complaining that, you know, the primary system is undemocratic and it has benefited Cruz with the delegate selection and the, the fact that conventions have an inordinate amount of power over that instead of the voters. Well, there's many spheres of the primary. There's many different aspects that it's undemocratic. It's undemocratic through and through. It was never your primaries aren't democratic. But there is one particular aspect that has benefited Trump, and that in turn has benefited the establishment's uh, members running for Congress. Follow me through here. That is open primaries. Open primaries. He wants to complain about, hey, Trump, are you complaining about the Republican rules allowing Democrats to vote in most of our primaries? Guess what? This would have been a very different election. Cruz would have been well, well on his way to 1237 had this been a closed primary. But one more ingredient. Let me give you a case study. I got a friend, uh, Matt Lynch, who ran for Congress against a big rhino, Dave Joyce, in northeastern Ohio. His internal polling showed him up five points um, right before that election. Indeed, he got 45,000 votes. That would have been enough to cover him in a turnout of up to 90,000. They have never gotten more than 90,000 before. And they, he was sure he was going to win. You know, we were, we were talking about that the day before the election, and he lost. And why did he lose? Because there was an extra 35,000 Democrats and independents that voted there 
There's your Donald Trump stuff. So all this whole big anti-establishment, I'm voting for Trump. <laughs> we came full circle and that helped elect the worst rhinos in Congress. How about that, Joe? I was talking to someone yesterday about a congressional seat that is kind of up and it's going to become open and looked at the slate of everyone that's out there. And he started, you know, he's somebody that works on campaigns and he started talking about, you know, how many people voted for Donald versus how many people voted for uh, Kasich and Cruz. And I said, look, that's an open primary state. You you can't get any numbers from that because you have no idea what base you're starting with. And that's the problem that we have, not just like you said, not just in these individual races and primary races, but across the board. And as you said, primaries aren't democratic. You're not having everybody vote for the person. You're not even having everybody from your party or you know, that are going to vote on that party yeah. in that general election I mean, voting. having 50 state primaries is, is a modern invention also. It used to be they didn't have primaries or had them sparingly, sporadically yeah. in different states. They didn't have them in all states. People um, look at things in such a vacuum. We we do this all the time. This is this is a big thing. I mean, I won't get into it, but, you know, the national popular vote and some of that things. We've one man, had, one vote. <laughs> in, right. But but whether you like that or not, and the same with term limits, the thing is, the system exists as it does now to make big, huge systemic changes because there was one anecdotal situation that happens. Like, let's say I'm a big Trump guy and I don't like what happened in Colorado to throw out the whole system and start over. Maybe it could be better, maybe not, but let's talk about it. I mean, obviously, this is campaign spin, but the rules have been there. Yeah, and let's, know, t- let's talk about the other stuff. Let's talk about open primaries, too. You know, there's many right. other, like you said, you can't look at one item in a vacuum, and that's at its core our promise at Conservative Review. No group think, no bumper sticker or cheerleading. It is, you know, you know, very long-form discussions, our podcasts, our Levin TV are very, you know, um, consistent articles on every issue going on in Congress. Next week, we got the Supreme Court taking up the immigration case. Look look for uh, um, our articles on that as well. Um, we got a lot more, Joe. Gosh, I'm sorry we, we ran out of time here, but uh, time, time flies when you're having fun. But, you know, next week, we'll get a little bit more into New York and, and the Northeast. Watch out for those New York, New York values on display. I think you're going to see that in the Tuesday night's uh, election returns. Like I said, Supreme Court, and we will, we will, you know, our commitment is again, knowledge is power. These guys will will screw us when they can get away with it. But luckily, you know, the Puerto Rico bill, after we blew the lid on that, they pulled it from committee. We'll have an update on that. Keep yourselves glued to conservativereview.com. Every hour, things are changing in this fast political climate. But until next week, thanks for joining us all. God bless. This is the Conservative Conscience. 